Hi, and welcome to the church at Lake Mead, and this is our sermon podcast. Today is October 24th, and Pastor Brad continues our sermon series called Descending into Greatness with Part 2. Let's take a listen. Hey, good morning. Man, what a great service already. I pray that the Lord's already met you and you feel his presence, his, his just loving presence in your life. He is for you. Some of you just really need to receive that this morning. God is for you. God is for you. He loves you. He is, um, grace is available to us. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Oh, yeah, good. Well, hey, we are in the second week in our series, Descending into Greatness. And we started off last week looking at the humility of Jesus. And I prayed uh, this week that all of us would just meditate on what Jesus has done for us. Um, just incredible. I want to start today um, looking, uh, just telling you a story. This is a story of uh, Sir Edmund Hillary. Uh, and he is, uh, along with his Sherpa guide, Tenzing Norgay, the two that we know of, the first two to summit the mighty Everest, right? And so in 1953, um, this was accomplished. And uh, as you can imagine, after his uh, feat, uh, Edmund Hillary was, was recognized in many ways by uh, the British Empire. He was knighted, even though he didn't want to be knighted. He was, so now he's Sir Edmund Hillary. Um, New Zealand gave him the commission to India uh, to be uh, one of the commissioned ambassadors. He was included into the Order of the Garter, which is, I guess, a very exclusive honor of only 24 members. So he was included into this. But if, if you knew him, the people who knew him would tell you he didn't want any of these honors. He was a very humble person who was just kind of a country boy. He kind of described himself that way, tall and gangly. Um, and so uh, he really did want the spotlight. That wasn't what he was about. So for the rest of his life, uh, after this big feat, he began to really try to reinvest into that area of the world. He uh, started the, um, the Himalayan Trust, which built schools and, and, uh, and hospitals in Nepal. He was really a humanitarian and um, many, many trips to other you know, locations in the Himalayas. And he climbed other mountains, obviously. Well, there's a story that goes that he's, he's in this area and there are some um, tourists that are in that same part of the world. And I don't know if they're climbing mountains or what they're doing, right? And so they see him, they recognize him. And they say, oh, let's get a picture. There's Edmund Hillary. Let's get a picture with him. And so they're about to do this picture and they're all standing there together. And then somebody says, oh, you know what? We need to get an ice pick. I mean, right? He's a mountain climber. So they grab an ice pick from somewhere and they throw it in his hand. And he's just sitting there awkwardly for this picture. You know, he's obliging them. And, and before the picture snapped, all of a sudden, there's another mountain climber that's walking past who doesn't recognize who's, who's there and sees that, the, that Hillary isn't holding the ice pick correctly. And so he decides he needs to go and correct him, walks over, you know, interrupts the picture, says, let me show you how to hold that, you know. And, and at that moment, uh, what the story goes is, is, he, is Hillary just nodded, thanked the man for the lesson. The man kind of nodded and headed on up the mountain. And to everyone's shock, right, that instead of, you know, anyone letting them know that this was Edmund Hillary you just tried to correct, you know, you, you idiot, right? That's kind of the way you think about when you hear that story. And two things kind of come to my mind when I, when I think of that story. Number one, why are some people that way? Like, can you help me with that? Like, why, why are some people just, I have to correct the world, you know? I don't know. That's just a personal thing for me. It's like, come on, bro. Like, 
just relax, right? That's one thing. But the, the thing of the reason I tell you this story though, is when you hear a story like that, of someone who's gracious, like Hillary was, who just nodded and thanked the man for the lesson on how to hold the ice pick, you're just, wow, that kind of humility draws you to someone, doesn't it, right? We said that last week that humility makes the great persons in our life even greater. There's something compelling about humility. There's something about humility that says, man, I want to respond that way. Like, I want to just be humble like that. And, and that's just an incredible thing just about humility. And we started looking at that last week. We looked at this incredible um, journey, even through history, of how Jesus of Nazareth changed the world. That Jesus was the first person in human history to connect greatness and humility. And we, we looked at that last week and we looked at the incredible descent that Jesus takes from his rightful place in heaven, enjoying the status of divinity, but giving up his status, right? Becoming a human, laying aside the privileges so that he could meet our, us in our, in our need. I wanna remind you of a, of a text where this title comes from. It's in, it's in Mark chapter 10. Let's read this together. And it's so nice. This is working, this, this service. Last service, this wasn't working. So it was kind of interesting. All right, but here we go. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, he's talking to his disciples. Instead, whoever wants to be great among, among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And so prophetically, Jesus says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And we just sang that beautiful song, Son of Suffering, that, that sings, puts to, puts to music, this incredible truth that we looked at last week. And so we're saying this, this is kind of the, the big frame for the whole series. In God's kingdom to embrace humility is to embrace greatness. In God's kingdom, if you wanna be great, then lower yourself, follow the example of Jesus, have the same mindset in your relationships with one another. That's what it says in Philippians, right? Have the same mindset of Jesus. Be willing to give up the privileges of status to serve somebody else, lower yourself like Jesus did. So here was kind of the conclusion from last week. Jesus denied himself the privileges of his divine status so that we could benefit. We're defining humility this way. And John Dixon, in his book, Humilitas, he defines it like this. Humility is the noble choice to forgo your status, deploy your resources, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. So here's what my hope was last week. My hope was that you just meditated on the humility of Jesus all week. My hope was that that sermon and, and, and the uh, just the fact of what Jesus has done for us was just at, you know, kind of rolling around in your mind. Like, how can I follow Jesus in my life? How can I take that example, lay aside the privileges of my status, lay aside something that I have so that I can help someone else? And so I pray that that was challenging to you. I know it was challenging to me all week as I was thinking about that. Today, I wanna to kind of look more at developing humility in our life. So this was what Jesus did how can we follow his example? That's what I'm gonna look at today and next week. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking a question. What are the privileges that love is asking me to surrender? What are the things, what are the ways I can follow Jesus' example? 
And I'm gonna look at two sides of this. This week, I'm gonna look at the public side of that. How do I follow Jesus's example at work? How do I follow this, this path of humility with my friends, with people outside? And next week, we're gonna look at how do I follow Jesus in my private life, with my, with my family, with people who don't know the real me? How do, I, how do I demonstrate and model genuine humility in those intimate relationships? So we're looking at the public side this week, the private side next week. So let's dive in. You guys ready? All right. We're gonna look at this story in Luke chapter uh, 14. And it's, I always get a kick out of these stories because I, I think there's just some humor to them, okay? So what's the setup in Luke 14? Jesus has been invited to a dinner party. He's with his disciples. And he's just gonna make some observations of what takes place at this dinner party. Uh, you know, if you were invited for dinner uh, to someone's house, you probably wouldn't think much of it. Yeah, sure, if we can fit it into our schedule, we'll go. You know, that, that kind of an attitude. But in the first century, being invited to a dinner party, being invited to something uh, was really significant. And, and I know we have those moments too. Like if you're invited to a fancy restaurant with, with some important people, I mean, you feel a little anxiety, right? Or if you're in a wedding and you, you get it, you, you know, you wanna dress up for that. Um, so we have some of that, but in this culture, dinner parties was everything. And where you sat in the dinner party, was everything, right? In fact, it vividly displayed your social status by how close you sat to the host of that party. And so let's look at what Jesus observes at this party in Luke 14. He noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table. And so he told this parable. He's talking to his disciples. I can just see him saying, hey guys, I wanna teach you something right now. Let's just look at this. He says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. This is what's happening in front of him. So he's, don't do that, right? For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. So he's trying to picture this really awkward moment, this social faux pas, right? When you have found the best seat for you, right? And then you have the awkward moment when the owner of the, of the place, so the host of the feast comes walking and whispers in your ear and says, hey, this is not your seat, you know? And in front of everyone now, you have to stand up and go to the kid table, right? Like that's embarrassing, right? And so Jesus says in, in verse 10, he says, but <clears throat> at that next, when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. All right, so this is Jesus giving us a lesson in social awareness, right? He's saying, look, don't promote yourself. It's much better that you, you, you know, kind of lower yourself, take the seat at the kiddie table or whatever, and let your friend who invited you pull you out of there and sit you next to him. That would be a much better thing. You know, this kind of story is kind of thinking about where does, where does this kind of play out today, right? And, and sometimes you got to make these uh, cultural connections because like, we don't really have that happening too much today. Unless if you go to a wedding and you just disregard where you're supposed to sit and you sit like with the, the wedding bridal party or something, that, that'd be awkward, right? But most of us wouldn't do that. But we do experience this a little bit in middle school on the playground, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Like it's time to pick teams 
for the kickball game or the basketball game, right? And everyone is gonna publicly know where you rank athletically, right? And they're like, oh shoot, man, who's gonna take Blakely? All right, I guess I'll take him, right? And you're like, pick last, right? Like, oh man, that's that social embarrassment, right? It's, it's much better for you to be like, hey man, I'll sit this out. And you're like, no, you're not sitting out. Come on and play, we need you. Like, that's a much better place than for that awkward moment when you're saying, can I tell you guys just an awkward, funny story like this? I'm like, I wasn't gonna do this, but... I remember, because <laughs> we never really grow up past middle school. Like, I think we all are middle school kids still. I really do. We just grow up physically a little bit. I remember we were doing like a sports league for adult guys playing basketball. And all of a sudden it went right back to middle school where we were picking teams. And I remember talking to Eddie. He was like, Eddie, it was terrible. Because he's asked me how it went. I go, we publicly picked teams. And I saw these adult men retreating back to their middle school years, looking at the ground, like, I don't know who's gonna, I was like, oh, we are never doing that again. There's gotta be a better way, right? So anyway, that's, that's what I'm talking about, right? So you're at this table and you pick the best seat and you have the humiliation of being downgraded. So here's what Jesus is saying, right? It's better to humble yourself than to be humiliated by another, right? That's basically the summary of his teaching, right? It's better to just take the lower seat and get elevated than to take the higher seat and get humiliated. But I got a question for you. Is Jesus really just giving us good advice? Like, is that what this is about? Is Jesus saying like, guys, let me give you some social, you know, help here. Stop promoting yourself. Just take the lower seat and it'll work out better. Is that what Jesus is doing? Or is there something more happening? Well, obviously there's always more that's happening. I think there's wisdom with being humble, right? And I think this first part, you could say, guys, it's just wise to be humble. Like it's really unwise to be proud and arrogant, like, cause that's really not smart. So it's really wise to be humble. But I think there's something else that Jesus is gonna teach us. Look at the very next verse. This is in um, Luke chapter 14, verse 11. He says, for all those, he goes on, he says this, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. He's going beyond the social setting of the dinner party now. He's making a comment about a general rule. He's not just talking about what happens sometimes when we get embarrassed and we have to be moved, right? Or we get picked last. He's talking about a bigger thing. And he's saying, there's not just wisdom around humility. There's a law about humility. And the spiritual law of humility that you'll see kind of woven through all of scripture is this basic, this basic spiritual law. Those who exalt themselves today will one day find themselves humbled. And those who choose to humble themselves today will one day find themselves exalted. There's a spiritual principle that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. That God is for those who recognize they need God and he's against those who live in arrogance and act as if they don't. That's a spiritual principle. And Jesus is saying, what you see at this dinner party of the host that has to humiliate his friend and sit him somewhere else because he's in the wrong seat, that is just a picture of the grand scheme of things of where God will have to humble those who are arrogant. So let's, let's take a little further with this dinner party. And this is where you think, man, Jesus was just so bold, right? So this has just happened. He just gives this teaching 
And then you look at verse 12, look what happens next. Then Jesus says to his host, okay, so he was talking to his disciples, giving them a spiritual principle, right? And good advice at the same time, which is pretty cool. Then he turns and he says, hey, I'd like to talk to the host of the dinner. And look what he says to the host. When you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so that you'll be repaid. Now, you got to picture that group of people are probably who's in the room, right? So Jesus is talking to the host. He says, hey, when you're throwing a dinner, don't invite Joe and Bill. And, you know, he's, he's talking to the people that are in the room. He's like, and you're rich and that rich neighbor. I know why you invited the rich neighbor, right? You're hoping he invites you next week, right? He says, don't do that. And he says, look what he says. He says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Man, I bet you could hear a pin drop after that. I don't know if, you know, now the rich guy in the corner is like, look at, oh man, I don't know. This got awkward quick, like, you know. Jesus is critiquing the social order of his day. He's looking at the injustice where people invite people only based on what they can give them in return and how the marginalized and the neglected never get anyone to care for them. The haves and the have nots, the social stratification that led to, just generational poverty and the lack of love for your neighbor. Guys, can you imagine what would really happen if we applied Jesus's words literally? If we got rid of all of the social stratification and division and we truly loved our fellow humans just because they're humans made in God's image and we didn't care about what they could give us back and we didn't, we didn't love with strings attached. We didn't serve others if, as long as they could serve us, but we truly believed and the ethic of Jesus to lay down our privileges to help our neighbors? What if we really live that way? How much this world would change? Now, I had, uh, and I was thinking about this after last service, because somebody was joking around, so I, I was gonna invite you to dinner, but I, now I'm not going to, Brad, you know, that kind of thing. How do we apply this? How do we apply this? Because we truly aren't usually throwing dinners this way. Again, there's some of that. But how would this apply today? And why is this so important? Well, here, here's the principle Jesus is getting at. Let's look at the principle and we'll, then we'll look at the application. The principle is this, God is humble. And in, in Yahweh's humility, he forgoes his privilege so that he can save us. And so as his followers, right, here it is, just as God gives his resources to the undeserved, so should his children. So the question I ask myself, the application here, the principle is God is a God who gives his resources to the undeserved. And if I'm gonna follow him, if I'm gonna be a child of God, if I'm gonna be transformed by his grace, I'm gonna be the kind of person who does likewise, who gives my resources to the undeserved because that's who my God is. And here it is, I'm gonna be free to just love generously. I'm gonna be free this transformation that happens when I start to follow Jesus and following his example and saying, okay, God, I'm gonna give away privilege. I'm gonna give away what's mine so that I can help somebody else. That just frees me to love. 
So let me show you how this would show up at work for you. All of us have different jobs. And I, I bet if we talk long enough and I talk to you about your career and, and, and it, this may or may not apply, but this, this could, there, there could be a pecking order at your job. I was talking to someone in the medical field and they said, there's definitely a pecking order, right? The custodians are on the bottom and the doctors are on the top and everybody's somewhere in between. And honestly, there is that social stratification. Doctors sometimes, and I'm not saying all doctors, so if you're a doctor in here, that hopefully this doesn't apply to you, right? But doctors don't even know the names of the people they work with sometimes because they're beneath them. At least that could be the attitude, right? But if I'm a Christian doctor, if I'm gonna follow the ethic of Christ, right? Then my attitude towards people below my status is a, an attitude of service, right? An attitude of love and humility towards those. So in your profession, at your job, as you think about your context, here's the question to ask yourself. How do I, in my place, uh, my status, my place in the org chart, how do I serve others? How do I lay down my privileges how do I learn the names of those who others would walk past? That's a powerful question. I wanna look at one more quick text. And this is the Apostle Paul's example. As you know, Paul, he was a traveling church planter and he went all around the Mediterranean world planting churches. And I wanna look at a specific example of him planting a church at Corinth. And I wanna look at the second chapter of this letter he writes to this church. Notice what he says. He says, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, in other words, when I came to your town to plant the church, I did not come with eloquence or, or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. <clears throat> For I was resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. So the only thing I wanted you to know I did not want you to fall in love with me and my eloquence. I did not want you to think, wow, he's really wise. I'll listen to him. No, that's not what I wanted. I wanted to lift up Jesus. And in so lifting up Jesus, you would fall in love with Jesus. And you would realize that Jesus transformed you, not Paul. That's what he's saying, right? He goes on, he says, for I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. Now, I got to put some cultural context to this. In this day, one of the pastimes, and I may have told you this before, but one of the pastimes of that culture was to listen to orators, right? Professional speeches given in the, in the amphitheaters and people would be wowed. And sometimes there was even a group of people known as sophists who would literally speak for an hour about absolutely nothing, right? It was like an art form. Like you talked for an hour and you were really funny and you didn't say anything. Like it's really wild, right? Like they were just known for this, ability to captivate an audience. And then they would take an offering afterward and then they would go to the next town. And so this was just part of the culture. In this day, Paul's walking in. He knows he's gonna get this reputation as a speaker. And he says, I do not want you guys to think I'm like one of those sophists, one of those traveling speakers that love to just get people all excited, take an offering and then move. I need you to know that I'm representing the King of Kings. So instead of using his eloquence, instead of using his oratory powers, gifts that we think Paul had, he chooses instead to come to them in weakness. He comes to them vulnerable. Look at verse four. My message and my preaching was not with wise and persuasive words. Instead, it was a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. 
Now, here's what I mean. I believe, and, and I'm not alone in this, I think this is a pretty interesting thing. Paul was a person of great ability. If you read 1 Corinthians 13, that is a poem that we read at every wedding just about, right? I mean, so this is the man who wrote 1 Corinthians 13 about love and, and about the incredible just beauty of, of how love is just the supreme of all things. And you could read that for yourself. But here's the thing, the guy who wrote 1 Corinthians 13 is telling that same church, I didn't come there trying to wow you with my, my oratory powers. I did not come there trying to wow you with my wisdom. I came there to serve you in weakness. Here's the second thing that humility does for you. And you can do this at your jobs. Humility, when you're truly humble, it frees you from the need to impress others. Paul, he didn't need to impress the Corinthians. He didn't say, you know what? I better impress them because if I don't impress them, oh man, they won't, they won't listen to Jesus. Paul rested in the sovereignty of God. He rested in the fact that God was in charge. God, he was not called to get, get, gather admirers. He was not called to get a big fan club. Paul was called to lift up Jesus. And what he was gonna do was just show them the power of Christ by his weakness. Let them in on all the weakness that Paul struggled with. Here's my question. How good are you? How good at I am I? at letting people know about our weaknesses? Do we always play to our strengths? Do, are we too afraid that if we let people know that we are humans, that we don't always have the answers, that we're not the smartest people in the room, that if we ask questions, if we allow like a subordinate at our job to get the credit, right? Are we afraid that that somehow takes away from us? Paul would say, listen, follow the mind of Christ. Let the, let the humility of Jesus reside in your heart and transform you and he will free you from the need to impress others. You know, each of us walk in that probably in some way at work. Man, I need to impress my boss. Man, I, I want everyone to know if you are the boss, I need everyone to know why I'm the boss, right? And you need to keep, keep people kind of like wowed that you are the person that belongs in that position because if you let your hand off, you know, the steering wheel for just a minute or your foot off the gas, you know, someone else will take your place. That continual drive to impress others. And it's no different for pastors. Man, think of, I was talking to someone else about how weird it is to be a pastor because it really is. How many jobs are there where somebody speaks and a group of people listen for an hour every week? and sometimes writes down what they say, right? Like that is really a weird job, right? And, and if people don't show up, you know what the insecurity is? What, what do you think it is, right? Like, well, you know, Pastor Brad, he's just not quite as good as Pastor Bill or whoever down the street, right? You know what I mean? And so you get this like, oh, I, and, and I better impress them or they won't come. You, you, you get that? It's that, man, when I'm not walking in humility, I'm walking in fear. I'm walking in this anxiety, right? So we have to walk in the, the power of God's humility. I want to end today's sermon. So we've talked today about the wisdom of humility and the law of humility, but I want to finish today talking about how humility really transforms you, transforms you. And I want to start with this quote by Stephen Covey. He said this, humility truly is the mother of all virtues. I call it a keystone virtue. It is the virtue that if you don't have this virtue, you can't have these other ones. It's the foundation for so much else in our life. And so I wanna look, I wanna show you this. So I'm gonna, as I end today, I wanna just make the case 
to you for why you should pursue humility. All right, here, here it is. I have some fun, fun colors for you. Here it is. So here's humility as our building block, right? And I think there are, this is not exhaustive. This was just me kind of playing around today or this week. Here's the next row. I believe these qualities are dependent on humility. So if you do not have humility, you will not have curiosity. You will not have love, forgiveness, surrender, or gratitude. And I'll, I'll try to make my case for that in a second. Okay, let's look for the first one, curiosity. How many of you have ever heard that if, if you're a boss or if you're a teacher, you're looking for students or you're looking for employees who are hungry, humble, and smart. You with me on that, right? Hungry, humble, smart. You ever heard that before? Why? Because people who are hungry, humble, and smart are wonderful to manage. They're wonderful to teach. They're, they're leaning forward. They're taking notes. They don't have pretense about being the smartest person in the room. They're genuinely curious about life. They're always innovating. I'm gonna tell you, all of that, all of that can't happen unless that person's genuinely humble. A genuinely humble person's gonna ask questions and they're not gonna care if they look ignorant because they're humble, right? You with me on that, right? And because they ask questions, because they admit they're not the smartest person in the room, guess what they're gonna do? They're gonna discover things and they're gonna learn things. They're great teammates. Humble people are great teammates. They're the kind of people you just want around because you, they don't give you that, that anxiety that you have to like, you know, push them down because they, they're not in a race with you. They're like not racing you, right? That's so wonderful. All right, so that's the first group. This, let's talk about more of your relational life. So that's more like work life and learning. I believe if you're humble, you have the capacity to love correctly. I believe if you're humble, you have the capacity to forgive others. And I believe if you're humble, you have the capacity to, to surrender properly. Now, all these things need to be done correctly, but I think humility gives you the ability to do that. Let's talk about love for a second. What is the definition of love, right? Love is the ability to, to put someone else in front of yourself, right? Love is the ability to care for somebody else in such an empathetic way that says, I love you and I'm gonna serve you and I'm gonna be for you in that way. Again, you have to be humble. When's the last time you tried to have a relationship with a prideful, arrogant person? When's the last time you, you really tried to go deep and be connected to someone who doesn't know how to say, I'm sorry. Every human relationship has friction. Every human relationship has tension. And if you're not humble, you'll never learn how to say, I'm sorry. And if you're not humble, you won't be willing to forgive those who hurt you. Humility lets you let go of the grudges that happen inevitably in every relationship, the, the tensions, the hurts. If you're not humble, you're not willing to let those things go and say, look, I'm gonna forgive you. And I think because of those key things in your life, because you have humility, you can have genuine empathy for others and generosity towards others. All of this together, again, this is not exhaustive. This is just a start. Kind of want you to do your own playing with this of how many things are all dependent on humility. At the end, I think humble people have healthy relationships. So let me just ask you, how are your relationships? Like your closest friends, your people at work, your reputation there. Do people really see you as someone who's for them? Or are you for yourself? Are you somebody that really people say, man, you're a great friend. Like you're just a true friend. I know that if I really need you, you're there. I love this quote by Henry Nguyen because it's so convicting to me. 
And, and this is actually not original to him. This was something that he learned from another colleague and he quotes it in his book. He says, you know, my whole life, I've been complaining that my work is constantly interrupted. And when I read that, I'm like, yeah, I totally am with you, bro. <laughs> Until I discovered that interruptions were my work. I got to tell you a quick story. I was in class this summer and I was in class um, in Chicago with Scott McKnight. And Scott McKnight is a world-class scholar. He's written 30 books. And so being in class with him is a treat. So I'm in class, we're, we're going through the book of Revelation in this class and we are, we're, it's Thursday and we're only in like chapter six and there's like 22 chapters, right? As a student, I'm loving the week. I don't care, you know, that we're not finishing the book or we have a lot to do in two days because we have two days left. But the teacher in me, I was like, man, I bet she's feeling a little pressure to like get this thing moving, right? Because we'd go on these rabbit trails and they were always interesting and he's just really funny. So uh, it's Thursday morning, it's about 10 in the, in the morning and I'm, I'm looking at the clock and I'm thinking, well, let's, he, he's gonna have to push the gas and get moving, right? All of a sudden, one of my uh, friends in the, in the cohort was reminded of a TED talk based on the topic, a TED talk. And she stands up and says, oh, this reminds me of a TED talk I saw. And without asking, without saying much more, she runs over and starts to hook her computer up to the, to the TV right? And I'm thinking, Ooh, what is she doing? Right? That's what I'm thinking. And I'm like, oh. so I watch him. I just, I, I just watch. How is he going to respond to this? He says, he says her name. How long is the TED talk? And she goes, Oh, it's not long. It's not long. It's great. It's going to be perfect. And she was persistent. And I know what I would have done. I was like, mm, sorry, honey. I'm so sorry. Said, you know, you know what he did? And I watched him so carefully. I'll never forget this. He leans forward and then he just gets this big grin on his face and he looks and he goes, okay, we're going to see a TED talk. And I'm like, what? And we did. And it was great. It was only a few minutes. It was really appropriate, right? He had no idea what it was going to do. Neither did we. And he just taught our class that he's the smartest guy in the room and we all know it, but he can let somebody just take over. It's, it's, it's humility, it's humility. I think a lot of us live with an achievement mindset. Like the more we achieve, the more successful we are, the more we matter. Our identity, our self-worth is connected to how much we've achieved. And sometimes when those achievements are threatened and interrupted, we run people over. We say, look, I don't have time for you. This is coming from a, a very guilty heart when I'm sharing this, this is me. And I think what we really need is a service mindset, the mindset of Jesus. He didn't come to, to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. And when your identity, when, you're, when, you're, when your achievements are not about how big your you know, list of credentials are or how big your bank account is. But if what matters to you is how many people know that you love them, if that's what matters to you, then I think you're gonna leave an impact on this world that's gonna go far beyond anything else. It's the power of humility. I wanna end with my graph because I know some of you are like, wait, he didn't finish the graph, here it is. 
I think when you're really humble, you can be actually grateful because you realize things that you have really are just blessings. Even, even your ability to earn money, even if you are intelligent or you have gifts, you know you didn't do anything to really deserve those. You might've refined those and, I, and you need to, and I'm not suggesting we just don't work hard at developing ourselves. But friend, we have to just admit everything we have is grace. And because of that, I could be content. Because of that, I can have peace. So here's my point. When I'm humble, guess what? I'm full of joy. I'm full of joy. What people are running after in affairs, in midlife crises, and all these things that are destructive, drugs, substance abuse, is available to you if you follow the mind of Jesus and serve others, knowing that you yourself are the recipients of his amazing grace. So here's your homework tonight, today. Here's your homework. I'm gonna ask you these questions. Are you genuinely interested in other people? Do people at your job really believe that you genuinely are interested in them? Are you able to laugh at yourself? Do you take yourself too seriously? Humble people could just... Do people at your work believe that you're for them? <clears throat> Are you available to the interruptions that might come? So I have two things I want you to do this week. Number one, I want you to embrace interruptions. So I'm not saying don't worry about work this week. Someone said, well, Brad, are we just supposed to? No, you need to go to work. But when those interruptions happen, just give it the few minutes. They're usually small, right? And next, every day, purpose to intentionally give yourself away to somebody else. And in that, you're copying our Savior. For, for the joy set before him, endure the cross, despising its shame for you and for me so that we could be eternally transformed and forgiven because of Jesus. Man, we have a Savior, don't we? Follow Jesus. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name, God, you would develop deep humility in our life, that at our jobs, in our, with our friends, that we would be people that are just known to genuinely love others. That we, would, that we would look at you, Jesus, and we would wanna follow you. And we would wanna see that just following Jesus transforms our lives in such a powerful way that the thing that the world is wanting, the thing that the world is craving is honestly found in the very paradoxical pathway of humility. I pray right now for anyone here this morning has not yet bowed their knee to King Jesus, that today would be the day that they would recognize as we read today, Lord, to humble themselves, to humble themselves and recognize they need a savior, that they can never be good enough to meet up to your standards of perfection, that Jesus is the only one who could do what we were supposed to. And Jesus died so that we could have eternal life. And I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who's not yet trusted Jesus, that today would be the day of their humility, that they would bow to King Jesus and receive the grace of eternal life. I pray that in Jesus' name. Could I have our church stand today? As we end our services, I would like to invite you to stand and we're gonna have people that wanna pray.
if you are willing to pray with others,